Welcome everyone to the Dining on a Dime podcast, where we give you tips on how to save on your monthly food budget. Now we give you the absolute best foodie news, and our professionals will give you recipes and cooking tips. So let's get the show started. Okay, welcome everyone to Dining on a Dime. What a great show we have for you today. Here's what you're going to hear. First 15 minutes is going to be all about how can my regular home cooks, how can they make money? I have specific information for people who love to cook to make money. I have legitimate places that will pay you to do different things uh, via cooking. And then we go to an excellent interview with Brother Ting Brewery. Uh, that was uh, hosted by Amaris Pollock. With Dan Orienti, who is one of the co-owners of Brotherton Brewing. And what a fantastic interview. And then we are going to bring you uh, the Drexel Brook. Uh, Dominic Savino is the CEO and general manager. And we have an outstanding interview with him. Uh, the Drexel Brook Catering is located at 4700 Drexel Brook Drive in Drexel Hill, PA. Let's get the show started. Matt, I'm sure you're a great home cook. What can you do to make a couple dollars as a home cook? Here's our first tip. The first tip is eat with. That's the word eat and the word with. And what they do is they pay people to host small parties, one to ten people, in your home. And they're also in 130 different countries. So, Matt, you, ju- you had mentioned a great point. You're traveling, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. You're going to another country. You're going to Spain. You can get the experience from a home cook in Spain. But if you're a, if you're a talented cook in Spain, you can also host people at your home. Yeah, I mean, I may not be the most entertaining person. I don't know if I can do the whole song and dance <laughs> you know, uh, of being a host, but I love to cook I love to cook for people, so it's a very interesting thing. And I think they would be a wonderful sponsor for your other podcast. That's right. Learn about about world world cuisine. cuisine. Uh, Amherst Pollock, would you do Eat With? Would you host a dinner party, one to ten people, if they paid you? I mean, if they paid me and, you know, they were a lot of fun, like as long as we had some food and wine, (laughs) (laughs) I would be all for doing that. Okay. So Eat With is our first tip. Uh, Let's move on to our next step. Uh, Did you know, did you guys know that uh, people get paid to write recipes and cookbook authors buy them? Did you know that? Wow, really? Yes. I would think that chefs would actually create the recipes. Right, but I'm saying you can sell your recipes. It's a place called Fiverr, F-I-V-E-R-R. And you can do several things in the writing business and get paid for it through Fiverr, F-I-V-E-R-R. So that's another way you can make uh, money in the food business. And keep in mind that even though Eat With is very strict on who they uh, allow to host the parties, you do not have to be a trained chef. You can be a, a, a home cook. All right, so... How'd you like to earn points by watching uh, cooking videos? What do you think? Wait, so we would... You can earn points by watching TV, people cooking like you do on the Food Network. Okay. And you gain points, and then you can cash that in for cash. How about that? Off of what app? Uh, I'll tell you. It's called Swag Bucks. 
Swag. Swag and then bucks. And what happens is they pay regular you to do everyday things. So the things you're doing anyway, right? You're watching cooking videos. You can get paid to do that. They give you what they do is they give you points that you can cash in for gift cards. So this okay. So this is through an app. So is this like Nielsen ratings? With but no, like- no, 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 no. They're paying people to do their everyday activities, hmm. and uh, you get points. I'm not going to make everyone think that they're getting a million dollars, but you get points. No, no. I'm sure it's like a and the five dollars transition or <laughs> to gift cards. Uh, what is one of the hottest things going today? How about virtual cooking classes? Uh, people are. How can I make money hosting a virtual cooking class? Amaris and Matt are both talented cooks. Wouldn't I, you love to make money by hosting a virtual cooking par, uh, cooking class? I get way too elaborate. So, I, I mean, as much as I would do something like that, like I we said in the beginning of this, um, I, I think that people following along would, might get it, like annoyed, especially because when I cook, I'll like sniff something and go, okay, a little bit of this. And that's, you know, right. not measurements. Yeah, involving precise measurements is kind of my downfall. And see, I, I, don't, I don't know if I could talk enough while I cooked. I don't know if I could sort of split my focus like that. But I would be willing to try it, <laughs> depending on the pricing. Right, that's what I'm saying. And so what you... do I have to wear? Uh, well, How exposed gonna... do I have to be? Gonna... I mean, I, w- I would think clothing would be ideal. <laughs> You're saying exposed. I would wear a shirt so and, and apron. Yeah. Yes, and apron. <laughs> but anyway, you Minimal. can... But people, I mean, unless if you want extra money. <laughs> just so you guys know, virtual cooking classes are the hottest trend going on today. People are hosting them and stuff like that. Here are a couple tips as to how you can make money from it. Because a lot of people are doing it for free. Develop your own catchphrase. Exactly. Brand Ex- yourself. Exactly. Bam is taken, I found out. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you can actually... Uh, put together a a box of the ingredients that you're going to cook with, right, for the, your cook, virtual cooking class, and then have the people participating buy that box, yeah. and then you make a profit, okay? Uh, you can pair with a winery, and you can say, hey, look, I'm doing a virtual cooking class. I will promote your winery in exchange for, for. discounts or whatever. Yeah. You can do that. That's almost like having a third-party sponsorship. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, You know, a lot of times podcasts do it all the time. You can promote a product, and then you get commission on whoever buys the product. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So you can do that. Uh, What about uh, there is – what about if I want to learn to cook, right? Uh, Virtual cooking classes are the hottest thing going today. Where can I find virtual cooking classes? I got one. Master class is evidently the most popular and uh, of the virtual cooking classes. It's Gordon Ramsay like you've never seen him before. I love it. <laughs> and what I I didn't know was that Gordon Ramsay is actually teaching people how to cook at just fifteen bucks a month. So that's he, not bad. That's actually pretty good. And he's not screaming at you, right? There's no spittle. He's not next to your face. He's on the computer. The lighting's beautiful. He's, you know, cooking. He's calm. It's 
peaceful. It, it's almost meditative. That and is it, that is not the Ramsey that we we know and love, though. <laughs> I mean, I think part of this would be like, wait, why aren't you yelling at me? But you see, then there's Master Class or like uh, what? Master Chef Junior Ramsey, right? That's the lovable Gordon. And and you know, Wolfgang Puck is also a legendary chef. He also does master classes at 15 bucks a month. So if you're out there, you're looking to learn how to cook, you can do it right from your laptop. (laughs) You can just go and look these places up. But I was told. Wolfgang, fantastic as well. Uh, there's a place called Udemy, U-D-E-M-Y. They have 65,000 courses uh, online. Also, everyone knows, Matt, you probably know well, uh, Airbnb uh, does mm-hmm. a lot of stuff, different stuff uh, with cooking classes. There's a Top Chef University, Top Chef University for just ten ninety nine a month. Uh, there's a gluten-free baking academy. That you can uh, participate in, Matt. What would you be your cuisine of choice to take a virtual cooking class? What do you think in terms of taking Just one to learn, or, or to learn. learn? Oh, yeah. What would you choose? That's a tough one. That's I, actually a tough question. I think maybe you know something like French because that's just sort of very out of my wheelhouse. Or if I was to go with something I love, I just don't know a ton about. Right. Probably, you know, something in the sort of Asian area. Okay. Right? Like, I'd love to learn how to be able to make pad thai or make pho at home or, you know, you sushi rolling. Yeah. You can do it something like that. You yeah. stole my thunder. I was totally <laughs> going to talk about that. <laughs> but, you, but it's interesting. Like, you, that's a great point you make. You would love to learn that, and you can mm-hmm. do it online. Yeah. Uh, what do you think the most difficult, uh, the most challenging thing for a virtual cooking host? If you want to host and make money, what do you think? How, how about camera angles? Yeah. I never thought of this. I'm like, I would have never thought the camera angle because when you're reaching for ingredients, you got to make sure that you're on the camera. I never thought of that. I would also think um, keeping everybody on on time would be because you you know you get to situations. I've taken a virtual cooking class, and okay. you know not everybody is at at the same time um, within their within their range of what they're doing. I, ideally, the that you know you're supposed to follow along, but there are things where people make you know human mistakes and they won't turn the heat up enough, so they're falling behind. Um, so I would think timing would be part of it okay but uh those are just some tips for our listeners to make some money you're a home cook matt it's pretty nice to know some of these things right yeah or there's always the option you just start you you make an instagram profile and you start throwing content up there and then once you get enough of a following boom Put all that crap behind a paywall. Start your own Patreon page. That's actually not the... And rake in the subscribers. That's actually a smart move, too. Yes. (laughs) But these are some of the tips. Um, Once again, Eat With is basically a company that will allow you to host a dinner party, 1 to 10, have them come to your home, and uh, you can get paid for that. But I want to make sure everyone understands they are very strict as to who they accept. So, uh, Amherst? Um, I was just going to say, if we're talking about, you know, virtual cooking classes and especially, you know, Asian related foods, Chetna, um, she, she's one of uh, our friends and she teaches, uh, virtual cooking classes. Ah, that's pretty cool. So I'll give you that information so you can add that into the little subtext too. Okay. Well, let's get to our great interviews. Let's go to break. 
You can now listen to all of our past Dining on a Dime podcast, plus see over 600 restaurant reviews with photos by going to www.phillyrestaurantreviews.com. Hi, Dan. Welcome to Dining on a Dime. You are the co-owner of Brotherton Brewing, located in Atco, New Jersey. And I met you at one of the beer festivals and fell in love with your beers. So I just had to have you on Dining on a Dime with us. So welcome. How are you doing today? Well, that's awesome to hear. I'm doing well. Thank you. How about yourself? I'm good. Um, you're here with Kevin Wilson and Matt Maratea. Matt is one of our uh, our our castmates, but he's also a brewer, so he knows some technical stuff. But why don't you tell us, like, what is your history of Brotherton Brewing? <clears throat> okay, great. So um, we are... Um, I think most know that Brotherton is partners with Valentino Winery. Um, the the folks that 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 own Valentino are lifelong friends of my brother and I. Um, we talked over the years about doing something together, whether getting into a a, a pub and grill type of. Uh, relationship for a restaurant or what else could we do together and um in 2015 we we thought about a uh craft brewery um things were starting to take off certainly at that time well at well before that time but seemed like a good um a good adventure for us to explore together so um we uh we got together, we bought a, a half barrel brewing system and just kind of put out some, some, uh, some blurbs out on, on pro brewer as far as getting a brewer in there to, to bring their own recipe. And, and, um, and, and we interviewed probably about 10 or 12 different brewers with their own recipe, waited the, you know, the, the week and a half, two weeks by the time the beer was done, tasted it got together, decided what we thought was best. And we, uh, we said, all right, looks like we're ready to roll. We invested in a 15 barrel brew house and we started from that point. Which is amazing. And I mean, as you know, because you've seen me in your brewery several times that, um, that I was obviously enamored with your, your brews. So, um, what is, I know one of my favorite new brews is hot stuff. What is one of your favorite brews? <laughs> so when we started, um, our three major, our, our, I, I guess you would say our three core styles were our Brotherton IPA was number one, um, green earth pale ale, and our Jersey Devil Double IPA. Um, I fell in love with the Jersey Devil Double IPA from day one, and continues to be uh, continues to be my favorite style that Brotherton does to date. Although I would say, on a more regular basis, I lean towards the Brotherton IPA simply because Jersey Devil is an eight point five percent beer tends to uh, catch up with you very quickly. And I, I learned early on that if I'm going to uh, sustain, I need to uh, maybe scale back a bit. 
<laughs> um, I will say that you know it's it's a higher ABV, but I I tried your. Um, your hot stuff, and I, I'm 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 uh, trying to rally the the masses and and get that on your uh, regular tap list because, you know, it's a, I know that it's your your bases your oatmeal stout, um, <clears throat> but you added in the uh, jalapenos into it, and I must say that I I really do love that beer, um, although I do know that you are more of an IPA kind of a fan. Um, so yes, although although I'm more of an IPA fan, um, I would say my brother Keith um, really expands his horizons a lot more than I do. Um, you know the the Imperial Oatmeal Porter is is one of one of his favorite styles. We so let me just back up a bit. The way that the uh, the hot stuff transpired was we decided. Uh, a couple months ago, let's bring over because we're working off of a 15 barrel brew house right now. So we have um, six 15 barrel fermenters and a 30 barrel fermenter and a 15 barrel bright. Um, you know, one of the things that kind of started to limit us was we have to, it was kind of like we had to do large quantities of anything that we wanted to try. So we, we said, let's bring over that half barrel um, brewing system that we originally started on and let's just start playing around on it. So that's where this, you know, that hot stuff originated from. You know, we, we just kind of, we put some of the, uh, the Imperial Porter in there. Um, we added some cocoa nibs and long hot. And it was something that we wanted to release for Valentine's Day. Historically, we've always always released a couple special editions for Valentine's Day, and it was a it was a huge hit. So there are the kind of things you know. Now that we've been uh, in a in a, a retail outlet in our tap room since Labor Day of 2020, um, it gives us the opportunity to really have some fun. You know, I mean, in the past, it was 100% production for distribution. And when in that situation, the distributor generally dictates largely, you know, what we're going to release. And unfortunately, eh, I shouldn't say unfortunately, but we got into a situation where most people recognize Brotherton as an IPA brewery um didn't have the opportunity to experience some of the phenomenal stouts and porters and pilsners and you know the different kind of stuff that we've saisons that we've really enjoyed brewing over the years i know that your saison um you had a new one on your list your tap list and it was absolutely wonderful but what can we look for because you know St. Patty's Day is coming up what can we look for for your brews for that yeah so you know we um you know one of the things that we we did here recently was um and and it was on draft when you were there Amherst um uh, not sure if you had the opportunity to try it, but with the the Murphy's um, the Murphy's Fresh Markets um, Irish Stout, Irish Dry Stout, 
um, that was something that came to fruition with uh, Murphy's Markets locally here, who has been a, a large supporter of ours for um, for packaged goods in their Tabernacle, New Jersey location for the last you know, since inception. And um, they came to me and said, you know, we'd really like to do our own our own beer made by Brotherton. And uh, and we talked about it. We decided that, you know, a uh, a true to form dry Irish stout coffee stout would be a, a great um, a great start. So we we canned up a bunch of that for them. And we we also kegged some for our tap room. And it's been going. It's been it's been great. I mean, we're actually getting ready to, they blew through our initial uh, cans that we supplied them with and we're getting ready to can some more next week and, and keg some more to get ready for St. Patrick's Day. I mean, feel free to slip me some so I can come here and uh, provide that for Matt and I. Uh, <laughs> are you doing? You got it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, are you doing anything to celebrate uh, at Brotherton Brewing St. Patty's Day, the actual day of? So St. Patty's Day, I believe, is on a Wednesday. Am I correct there? Yeah. I don't know yes. off the top of my head. <laughs> I'm actually I'm actually trying to pull up my calendar now, but I do believe St. Yeah, Patty's Day. Yeah, it's a, it's on a Wednesday, and we are not typically open on Wednesdays. Um, that could be, you know, I've had some conversation with my brother, who is uh, my working partner in the business. Although we have other partners, but my brother's my working partner, and um, and my niece. Um, who runs our tap room. We've talked about, are we going to do something open up for St. Patrick's Day? At this point, honestly, we don't have a, uh, a, a decision on that. Um, it could be a game time decision, um, which is, is is not unlike some of the things that we've done in the past. So stay tuned for that. I will. And I'm sure our listeners will as well. Um, now, I also know that you, you know, have food trucks that come to the brewery. Um, so I know that the weather's getting warmer. You have an outdoor patio. You have a huge space in indoors as well. Um, and, you know, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yes. Yes. So, um, in, in, so we, um, we bought our space in, um, October of 2019, um, with plans of opening, um, that, that facility it was an old firehouse that we bought and we completely gutted it and rebuilt it from, from the inside out. And, um, our plan was to, um, open up inside, had no plans of opening up outside. Um, I mean, that really just wasn't in the cards at that time. And we had a, a nice size space, as Emerson uh, described, inside. And um, and then, you know, we all know what happened in March, and we kind of switched gears, and we kind of uh, just kind of put some together some things, some old wine barrels. We got some Valdano. We put some tabletops on them. We, got some, we bought some picnic tables and and we converted our very very large outside parking area to about 50 percent of that outside seating which seats about 120 people um so at that point in time um labor day time 
it, it, it you know, weather was still fairly nice. Um, it, we just packed the place outside. It, wow. was, it was beautiful. So, um, now we have gotten to the point where still the uncertainty of, of what's going to happen indoors. We basically started as the cold weather rolled in, started bringing some of that outdoor furniture indoors and just kind of accommodating the indoor space that, that we can work with. Um, the ultimate goal is to you know, hopefully sooner than later, we, um, we, we get the, the indoor furniture that we originally envisioned for inside the place and keep the outside furniture as the outside and the inside as the inside. We do know that we, we are now approved to continue to have the full outdoor area that we originally or that we, that we designed during COVID. We will be able to continue operating that outside, outside area. Um, so yeah, we are anxiously awaiting the warm weather. Um, even last weekend wasn't that warm, but I mean, at that, it warmed up a lot as we know over the last couple of weeks. So we had certainly more people outside than I anticipated. And we have outside heater lamps and, you know, we try to do what we can. We do not have any coverings, tents or the little, you know, individual four to eight person pods out there. We don't have any of that, but it's a very, very nice, accommodating area when the weather is warm. It does. It, and um, I was there, you know, last week, I think. Um, and I will, I do have a question for anybody who has pooches because it is in like a large area. Are you going to make that um, outdoor area um, animal friendly? Absolutely. We are, we're huge animal fans. So, you know, we, uh, we always have plenty of dog treats on hand. We have plenty of uh, bowls in case no one, uh, you know, someone comes without a, a bowl of their own water bowls. I mean, we are, uh, we, we're thrilled to have the animals come see us. Matt, do you have any questions for uh, Dan? Uh, Dana, just uh, first, I want to say that I love the Green Earth Pale Ale. That I think is probably my favorite, more <laughs> so than the IPA. About brother, <laughs> and uh, right on, man. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will tell you that we're canon. We're canon again next week. So nice. we'll have plenty on hand. Oh yeah, it's especially around the spring. It's it's one of my favorites. Now I work at uh, Zed's Beer, so we're sort of on the opposite ends of the spectrum. We started with you know the tap room, and then we've slowly got bigger and bigger tanks and you know we sort of had to hand can our way through this whole deal but you uh with brotherton obviously started as a much bigger facility and you had the distribution sort of already in place and then the tap room came along afterwards do you think that helped uh with getting through all of this for you guys um we are kind of torn on that topic. I mean, we very deliberately started the way we started. And believe me, there was a lot of conversations right. between myself and my other four partners as to, is this the right way to do it? But deliberately, we we started with full distribution simply because we knew 
that there's a lot of really good breweries in New Jersey that are starting up. How do we know? You know, are we going to invest in a tap room? How do we know that our brand is going to take off? So, you know, we 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 did. We we searched out a, a distributor that we thought would be a uh, a viable distributor for us, and we and we and we 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 hitched our wagon to Hundred In, who covers the entire state. So we figured, you know, let's get let's get together with a distributor that covers mm-hmm. the entire state. And um, our brand took off. You know, it took off very much quicker than we actually anticipated. Um, but I would say, as you know, um, distribution is not a lot of money in distribution for the <laughs> right. brewery. I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, so we, we, we went through that. Um, now when I say deli- deliberately, we, we entered into full distribution. Um, our plans were to open a tap room. Very shortly after that, within a year to eighteen months, was our goal. And now and we, uh, Dan. Speaking right. of the tap room, um, sh- sorry to cut you short, uh, but we we need to um, get to our next interview. I apologize, but can we? Can you let everybody? No, that's all right. Can you let everybody know where to find you on social media? Yes. So um, it's basically all Brotherton Brew. So Brotherton Brew on um, on Facebook, on Instagram, um, on LinkedIn. Uh, our website is BrothertonBrewing.com. Uh, we just uh, just launched a new website, which is much more up to date for us. Um, and I, I appreciate everyone's time uh, speaking with me. And uh, and please come out and see us. Of course. Um, Dan, thank you. thank you for joining us. And I look forward to seeing you again in the brewery. Same here, Amherst. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Wow, that was great. Brotherton Brewery. Uh, Matt, would give us your thoughts because we're going to get our Zoom call ready. Uh, well, I mean, I've always been a fan of the Pale Ale. Like I said, uh, they're so well known for their IPA. And uh, sort of as he was getting to, Brotherton was one of those places that was distribution only, and people would get their cans, and you'd see them at beer fests, and the question would always be, hey, when are you guys going to finally open up a tap room? Right. And, you know, since they have, I think people are very, very happy with it. It's got a great location right on the White Horse Pike. Uh, I haven't been able to get over there myself, thanks to, you know, being on a busy brewery schedule myself, but... Uh, it's certainly on my list, and it's one of those things I always grab in stores uh, when I can, especially when they do stouts. I hear you. I, I know they're known for the IPA, but I think between pale ale and stouts, they really cover a lot of ground, and it's really good. And right now, our special guest. We have a tag team on the Zoom call. We have Dominic Savino. The Drexelbrook is the finest catering and events and event center in the entire country. They are located at 4700 Drexelbrook Drive in Drexel Hill, PA. We have Dominic Savino, uh, the the CEO and manager, uh, general manager of uh, Drexelbrook, and our very own Gene Blum. If any, uh, let's go, guys. Let's talk about the Drexelbrook, the outstanding facility. 
Well, good afternoon, everybody. Let me first start. I'm going to do a little brief indication of our very special guest here, Dominic. Thank you, Kevin, for the basic introduction. But I think uh, what needs to be said about Dominic uh, as we go into this wonderful discussion is a little bit about his experience. Dominic has been the C or he's been with Drexelbrook for 19 years. He is the CEO and managing partner of Drexelbrook, which is the largest independently owned private events venue in the tri-state area. It also includes the Holiday Inn Suites, Drexel Hill, and Streetlight Kitchen and Bar, which is a uh, restaurant, nightclub type of uh, venue. They also have a wonderful off-premise uh, division, so they're very versed in catering and are the exclusive managing partner for a location in Franklin, in um, Phoenixville called Franklin Commons. Dominic, by mentorship and as a leader in the industry, is the past president of the National Association of Catering Executives for the Philadelphia region. He served on their National Board of Governor Governance for Awards and Committees. <laughs> he is the founding member of the Private Events Professional of Pennsylvania. He is the past chairman of the board of Delaware County Chamber of Commerce, and he is vice president or vice chair of Visit Delco, as well as uh, just founded two fabulous charities, Food for the Frontline, which feeds first responders in Delaware County, and also uh, Delco Feeds Delco, which is helping feed hospitality workers. So, Dominic, that was a lot to <laughs> say about your introduction. And I left out two things that I'll get back to. <laughs> I was going to say we have for our, for our listeners, we have Dominic up on Zoom and he was kind of like <laughs> motioning like. <"Ugh." laughs> so, Dominic, let's um, take us back to, I don't know, a week or two weeks prior to the beginning of the pandemic and the shutdown and paint us a brief picture of what your business was and what Drexel Brooks status was in the private event world. And then if you could move us forward about two weeks or three weeks after that, what took place and, and really what was your world like at that period of time back in March of last year? All right. Finally, I get to talk. We're <laughs> <laughs> down to three minutes. And, uh, thank you for that. And, uh, Naturally, I come from the different world of private events, and um, yeah, Drexelbrook's been around since 1950. So uh, the week before the pandemic was around March 6th or so, and we were sitting at this boardroom table where I'm at right now, uh, extolling the virtues of, oh my God, we're going to finish this year 50% higher than last year. We're going to have our best year ever. The bookings are coming left and right. We had just... Um, remodeled and reimagined our entire 45,000 square foot venue. Our hotel was open less than a year. Our off-premise division was going off the charts and our restaurant was building the clientele. So we were on pace to, you know, a 50% increase from our best year. So we were headed to the stars. And then uh, around March 11th, 12th, 13th, pick the date. Um, our legs got cut out from under us with the pandemic. Um, somewhere along the line, it was mentioned that gatherings of any type were the evil doers and 
we were in effect closed. You know, capacity was reduced almost to nothing. I remember sitting at the table going, who wants to stay and who wants to go? And, you know, some of the younger people opted out and some of us stayed. And um, we went from a workforce of 165 down to a workforce of nine, uh, literally overnight. Wow. And I mean, literally overnight. So talk about changing your business plan, your model, your strategy, your Marcom, everything that you were doing to keep your business uh, top of mind, which is where we want to be at all times. So uh, that was a complete culture shock. Um, watching as businesses deteriorated, as employees were laid off, furloughed, um, it, it was the darkest of times. And you almost couldn't picture anything being worse. You know, fast forward a little bit to after the pandemic started and trying to get your feet about you and where do you stand? And are you going to be doing events in April, May and June? Little did we know we're still looking at April, May and June right now and scratching our head and going, are we doing events in April, May and June? And the first call that we get is, um, what's your capacity and will I be able to have my wedding in April, May, June, and do I have to wear a mask? There are the three questions that we get in pretty much that order. So a lot has happened um, since the pandemic started. It's taught major lessons in business for all of us, not just the hospitality business, but there are major lessons to be learned about adaptability, flexibility, uh, your business model, and how to adapt to really changing times and what will be the new norm. So, and, you know, as we go forward and, and Gene may ask some more questions about this stuff, but that in a nutshell is where we went from being top of the world one day to the bottom of the barrel the next day. And that's really the most staunch way to put it. Well, there's a lot of talk right now about restaurant openings and, you know, people coming into the stands at some sporting events and, you know, uh, some of the dining restrictions, but really that doesn't apply to the private events industry and catering. So can you talk a little bit about the differences as well as what's needed to help the private events industry move forward and then where we stand today and what the biggest obstacles that are facing our industry currently are and what they will be going forward. So, you know, in the very beginning, uh, and this was new for everyone, uh, our administration in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania uh, grouped private events into the nightclub and bar category. And so it was basically an awareness campaign in the beginning about we are not a bar, we are not a nightclub. We're not. Oh, we were in the dive bar category too. That was always a good one. I enjoyed that one very much. <laughs> Sitting in a ten million dollar facility, nothing against dive bars. I love a good shot and a beer every now and then, but we're a little bit different than the dive bars. Um, the heart and soul of the country there. So the awareness campaign and the education campaign in educating our elected officials and the general public. The difference between dining and gathering. And to this day, we still have to explain the difference that, you know, everyone calls and says, well, you're at 50% now. No, that's the restaurant. 
If you're coming and making an a la carte reservation, I'd like to make a reservation for four, you can have 50% of your capacity. If you're calling to have a wedding or a, a private event, then right now we are at 10%. And yesterday, the governor just gave us a gift of 15%. So we're at 15% of our capacity. Educating our elected officials in an area where their expertise is not at the top because they don't engage in uh, private events every day of their life was a main concern of ours. And that's what prompted us to form the private event professionals of Pennsylvania. So myself, along with Joe Volpe from Chess Cafe, Jeff Miller from Jeff Miller Catering and Tim Sudol from Allure Films got together and we formed a nonprofit. And our goal was to create awareness and raise awareness of why private events are different and how we can do things safely. And we mounted a whole campaign and we've grown the organization. And, um, you know, we represent a few hundred of the venues in Southeast. And now uh, we've partnered with the Pennsylvania Restaurant and Lodging Association, NACE, which is the National Association for Catering Events, to broaden our message, to let people know that professionally managed venues are a very highly regulated industry. And I think a lot of people don't know that. And we tried to give the warning about the day before Thanksgiving. Everyone knows that day is the party day of the year. And uh, when we were given the directive two days before, hey, you have to give last call on Wednesday at five o'clock because we're not going to allow you to drink in the bars and have gatherings. All that did was force people to parties at houses where there's no mask wearing. They're all grabbing from the same bag of potato chips. They're doing shots together. Nobody's regulating anything. So what happened after that? We got the spike because instead of giving it to the people who know how to handle it, they chose to give it to the people who just said, look, come to my house and we'll party in the basement or in the house. So our never ending campaign right now is an awareness campaign of how our venues are managed and trained to do events safely for both our employees and our guests. I have a question for you, Dom, Dominic. Um, so, <laughs> so given that you have all of this, you know, in hand, um, are, do you have a plan in like that is readily available in case of because everything's been fluctuating so much? Um, and as you said, they just allowed fifteen percent capacity. Do you have a plan in place if, say, Joe's, you know? Joe, Joe and Jill Smith want to throw a party at an event or a venue and they, you know, have enough people that fills that 15%. Do you have a plan in place just in case if they roll back um, to 10% again, or, you know, do you just adjust accordingly? Yeah, it's a, and that has happened to us back in July. I'll give you a, for example, um, we had uh, on July 15th, the governor cut all the capacities down to nothing. And we had a very large wedding scheduled on that Saturday. We had ordered all the food, all the alcohol, all the linen, everything got ordered. Then the, the rule came down. We wound up having to give all the food to the couple. They came with a box truck and picked up all of the food, their wedding cake, 
and everything. And not only did we give them all that food, but we had to refund them $13,000 to go on top of that. But the the real story in that one was it was, it started out a year before that as a wedding for 700 people. And I'm going to pick a number at a hundred dollars a head, $70,000. And our hotel was sold out three nights, a hundred rooms. You do the math. It's about a hundred grand worth of business. Over the course of that year, that hundred grand of business turned into a $13,000 refund. So the flexibility part of going from a higher occupancy to a lower is pretty much everyone is really out of luck. We lose the money, the people lose their party. The other way is if we now go from 15 to 25, we expand capacity. And now we're getting into issues that we talked about um, last week, which was workforce development. My workforce has been out of Drexelbrook for a year. They've since gotten jobs in other industries. They've gone back to school. So the workforce is going to be a major problem when we get to the point where we can open up 100%. Because as we tried to explain to elected officials, if you own a restaurant and I tell you that on Friday you can open at 100%, you'll have the food, the beverages, the linen, everything you need to operate. If you tell the private event venues you can open on Friday at 100%, my first event won't be until April because all of my March people are gone. Most of my April people are gone. So it's really May that we will be doing our first events. So it's it's a real slippery slope. And the second biggest challenge has been the lack of communication when an announcement is going to be made. We are trying to get a path forward and a plan that says, like other cities that say, when you hit this metric, when the numbers are going down, when the vaccines are going up, the hospitalizations are going down, the cases are going down, the use of ventilators is going down, the transmission rate is going down, then we're going to give you this much occupancy, but we can't seem to get that plan in Pennsylvania. And no, it's, it's a battle. Yeah, it's a battle. Now, uh, so, D- Dominic, I have uh, another sort of question for you. I uh, work in a brewery, and I'm also a high school sports coach. So I've oh. had frustration on two different ends, especially I get what yeah. you're saying with the communication. Uh, you talked earlier about how this changes the way you do business and sort of the way you go about doing business. What would you say has been your most successful pivot from all this or the biggest lesson you've learned that you can use going forward? Um, creativity is uh, probably the primary thing that keeps you um, going. And you try and find ways around. So Drexelbrook is a 45,000 square foot building. We are built to do large events. Um, doing takeout and tips does not drive revenue to drive a 45,000 square foot building. So. Luckily, years ago, we already diversified our platform in that we cater off premise that we were doing online ordering eight years ago before online ordering was really even a big thing. Uh, We did that for Thanksgiving every year, uh, Thanksgiving meals to our uh, guests. And when it came time to pivot and say, okay, now everything's going to be family meals online, 
we already had the program in place and we just took it to another level in our offering. So we were, we were shipping food out of here every day. Um, you also want to be able to help people. So that's where Food for the Frontline came in. Um, we got sponsored by Visit Delco PA. And to date, we've done about, I don't know, seven or 8,000 meals for frontline workers, which has morphed into all of the hospitality people that are out of work. So through donations, we're doing um, family packs of four that they can come and pick up here and have a family meal for four if you're an unemployed hospitality worker in Delaware County. Um, other creative ideas. So you said um, you coach high school, right? Yes. So you're dealing with um, the seniors who now, if they don't have a prom this year, will have been beaten out of their junior prom and now their senior prom, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So our solution to that, and we're being moderately successful with it, is um, big public schools have very nice football stadiums, AstroTurf, put a tent down in the middle. They got a gate where you have to pay to get in. So you have a check-in gate. You have a flat surface. You have... Lots of bathrooms, you have big concession stands, you have a ton of power, and you have a lot of parking. So we're working with a couple of the school districts who have multiple schools. Let's say it's um, Downingtown East, Downingtown West, Downingtown STEM School, in offering them um, a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, split the cost of the tent, you can do all three of the proms. Mm -hmm. Keep the tent for a week, and now you can do... Um, the baseball awards dinner, the parent, you know, the senior dinner, anything you want to use it for, and you just keep rotating it out. That's the way we've been able to salvage some of our prom business. We do about 24 proms a year. We lost them all last year, and we're on the verge of like maybe only doing a handful this year. Wow, that's incredible. But at least you're able to get a little bit outside. I would have never thought about the football stadiums. Uh, they make a natural place where it's safe. Uh, it's familiar. The noise level can be tolerated because anyone who lives around those stadiums is used to Friday night lights. You know, they hear the noise in the band and all that stuff. So they're most likely used to that. So that's, you know, one way that you pivot. We'll try and go from there. As long as Downingtown East and West don't show up on the same night, then you might have an issue. <laughs> well, I mean, if yeah, it's set up. Time, wait, the only time that's good thing is when they're playing each other in football yeah if it's already set up for a prom like they might as well do you know jun junior and senior prom for both of yeah yeah the schools yeah, exactly and really just so dominic there's a lot of talk out there about what is needed from harrisburg and beyond and there's some great new social media campaigns uh, i know you're spearheading one of them can you Briefly tell us how the private citizens, how, you know, the average person can get involved and, and really support the cause of the private event professionals and the caterers and the event people. Well, you, you know, our cause is, uh, you know, a long time ago, our Department of Health gave us specific guidelines. You know, mask wearing, temperature taking, hand washing, hand sanitizing, six feet apart with the tables no more than 10 to a table, air circulation. So I look at it this way. We've been doing events within the parameters since the, since the pandemic started. 
We have not had one employee get COVID. We have not had a guest who came to one of our events report that they had COVID. We have not been called for our contact tracing log from any event who reported that they got COVID and that they were at one of our things. So either we're really lucky or the man or the uh, procedures that we're following really work. And I'm going to go with the latter because we, we run it the way it's supposed to be run. The second part of it is what can people do? So you walk a fine line between the people who don't come out of their house with COVID and the people who believe that COVID is a farce and is a conspiracy by whoever. And then you got everybody in the middle. So we're appealing to the people in the middle and to the people who want to come back out. Uh, we created a website called LetPAMarryUs.com, and it's simply um, a plea to our elected officials that you know you're either a venue, a vendor, a um, a supplier, or a couple or a family, and you'd like to have your wedding in Pennsylvania. And it sends an email to the governor saying. We're in support of opening venues. Now, it's not for everyone, and I didn't think that it would be for everyone, but it is for the people who are willing to follow the rules and want to get married at the venue that they selected and not in their backyard. Would you be willing to uh, email that to us so that we can add that on to our description for the podcast so our viewers can also, or listeners can also click on that link? Sure. Mm-hmm. Let PA marry us.com. I'll send it through email. Thank you. Um, now, as far as COVID testing and restrictions are concerned, I know that uh, Nicole Marquis, who owns Hip City Veg and um, uh, Charlie was a sinner, um, <clears throat> she created an outlet for uh, anybody in the industry to get tested for free for COVID. Uh, do you, do you have anything like that in place for anybody who you're working with um, as far as back of house is concerned? Um, we don't have a program in place, but everyone here has been tested at one time or another, and we're just waiting our turn to be vaccinated. Um, uh, we've talked with our staff. Everyone is willing to get vaccinated. We're just not in the, we're not in the 1A group yet. And I know Philadelphia has created sort of a program for hospitality workers, but it hasn't reached the, uh, the county area as of yet. And um, uh, most of us have been tested once, twice, three times, depending on what's going on. And that test is good for X amount of time. And then you're back in, um, you know, being tested again. So I admire the program that she did. I understand why she's doing it. Um, it's great for the hospitality workers, especially in Philadelphia. And it's a shame because Philadelphia has been completely shut down for God knows how long. Yeah. We haven't really had an update since November 17th until yesterday when we went from 10% to 15%. And uh, Philadelphia restaurants went from four people to six people outdoors. They don't have to be from the same family, something like that. It's really... You know, giving somebody outdoor capacity is like saying, hey, we have a good seat for you, but it's in Alaska in an igloo. Um, you yeah. know, <laughs> these things you want to I mean, yeah, but that's what you're that right. Yeah. It's like 10 degrees out today. What does that do for you? Yeah. Right. Especially for you who caters. Let Gene, yeah. uh, Gene, Gene. So, Dominic, you- as we're winding down here, uh, you want to talk? I'd love you to talk a little bit about some of your other great projects that in the middle of, 
trying to keep your business running and keep your employees working. Um, the stuff you do with City Team Ministries, uh, you, the Drexelbrook Project, which is about teaching hospitality skills to high school people. If you could kind of talk a little bit about that, because people, I think, need to realize all you do to really support the industry, but also support the community. You know, there's never any waste going on at Drexelbrook. It's always going out to help people. And it's something I truly have admired for a long time. Yeah, I, you know, community service has always been at the heart and soul of what we do. And, um, you know, two programs that are near and dear to my heart are uh, the Drexelbrook Project, which is a collaborative uh, workforce effort with Upper Darby High School. And we're, it's unfortunate that we can't do it now. We, were, we started it in 2001. And so it was 19 years that we've been doing the project where um, we offer students the opportunity to um, learn interviewing skills, uh, learn how to um, execute and plan a catered event. And it culminates with actually them coming to Drexelbrook, learning and doing the event for the retired teachers. And um from that point, we were able to hire people that we had, we had trained. So that was a good program. And we hope to resume that program when school resumes. Um, City Team Ministries in Chester, you know, they're actually located throughout the country, but Chester is the closest one to us. And um, we love the program. We love what they do to help uh, men with addictions. And um, we support them by donating extra food. Uh, we volunteer our time. We go down every Christmas um, and do Christmas dinner. We, we're probably down there once a month donating food, services, food, clothing, um, anything that they might need to help them through um, tough times because they've been hit hard too with the COVID. So we keep that relationship strong. And that's something that's very near and dear to my heart. My kids have all grown up volunteering down there. And uh, now they look back at it like that was a really cool thing that we did. So that's near and dear and that's the things that we have a little bit more time to focus on now helping people out and um you know trying to spread what little joy we can which is uh in an otherwise you know dark period right now well i don't know if you know this or not but you know when you and i and i was, I was doing some of the city team ministry stuff with you and i brought my daughter along and we were loading the truck and you showed up and suddenly you you know, started pulling out more stuff and putting it on the truck and putting it on the truck. And my youngest daughter turned to me and said, Dad, he's like Jesus. He just keeps multiplying the fish and loaves. I wouldn't say that. That's a little bit <laughs> I, 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 I remember that. It was one of the, the, the great moments of my life. So, And, and I, it was. You walked into the refrigerators and you told the chef and everybody, no, that goes, that goes, that goes. Put it all on the truck. So, you know, I really appreciate that. Dominic, how can people get hold of you? How do we get hold of the Drexelbrook? With you know, what's the, the best way to get hold of uh, your accommodations and your event space and everything like that? Um, certainly, our, our website is a great store, uh, the Drexelbrook.com. Our social media is really active at Drexelbrook on Instagram and Facebook. Um, my email is dom at the Drexelbrook.com. You can reach out to me or any of our sales team. Um, you know, we're here working all the time just looking towards the future everything we're doing is the future and um we hope the future looks bright pretty soon because we're tired of doing nothing if you ask any of anyone in our industry 
we would rather be working than getting grants from the government. And I know I speak for myself and many others when you say, just let us do our job and earn our own money. That's what we want to be. Amen. Absolutely. There's nobody I know, there's nobody in our industry that is is looking for a handout. We're just looking to get back to work. And, you know, through the leadership of you and some other people, you know, hopefully we're going to get there real soon. And I really appreciate that. And if anybody else has any questions, otherwise, you know, thank you so much for all you do and for your leadership in the industry. And, you know, hoping that in the very near future, we can all get together and have wonderful celebrations at Drexelbrook. By the way, if anybody is a, a great trivia person, uh, keep in mind that American Bandstand actually started at Drexelbrook. Oh, wow. It's a great bit of Philadelphia trivia there. Well, that's for those of us old enough to remember that, right? <laughs> I don't think anybody in that street was around for anything. So that would, be, that would be me, Dominic. Other than that, um, so we're all good. Thank you Thanks so much, everybody. Dominic. I appreciate your time. It was an honor to have you on the show. Thank you, Dominic. It was nice right, meeting you. Yep. Have a nice great day. Thanks. Thank you. Oh, wow. That was a great interview. And what that interview did was that pretty much brought to home the issues that we're having today. You know what I mean? The, the stats, you know, you go down to nine people. That is unbelievable. Let's all give our tags. Uh, Amherst Pollock, where can we find you? You can find me across most social media, and you can find me under Amherst Pollock or A-R-P-O-L-L-O-C-K-U-S. And that was a fantastic interview with uh, the brewery. Uh, Matt Maritea, where can they find you? I am uh, Matt Maritea. You can find <laughs> me at mmaritea22. That's M-M-A-R-A-T-E-A, the number 22 on Twitter, on Instagram, on Untapped. Uh, and if you guys like me as much as Kevin says, yes, tell me directly. Right? <laughs> he keeps saying he gets tons of emails about me. I want to hear it direct from there the listener. There are a million people in the parking lot. I had to fight <laughs> my way to get to the studio. Uh, PhillyRestaurantReviews.com is my website. All 115 of our past shows right on the website. I have over 600 restaurant reviews with photos. Uh, PhillyRestaurantReviews.com plus bios. Thank you, everyone. We will see you next week. Check out our new podcast, Learn About World Cuisine, where we travel to a different country from around the world each week and give you fascinating facts about both the country and the cuisine. Our world traveler gives you his real-life experience in the country, and our wine expert gives you the best wine pairings with your cuisine. Our podcast is available on all platforms, or you can simply Google Learn About World Cuisine to listen to the show.